the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. We're your hosts, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Glad you're with us. Hey, girl, hey. I can see you across the new console. Oh, hey, girl, hey. (laughs) We're in a new studio today, so we've had a lot of fun getting set up. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fancy in here. I've definitely uh, improved from the storage unit living days, I would say. Oh, yeah. Look what God can do. So thank you for listening to this episode. This show uh, is sponsored by Matthew's Help. We have a foundation and a detox and recovery program. Uh, The detox portion is 10 to 14 days. We're inside St. Joseph's downtown. If you'd like any information about that, please give us a call at 844-263-4673 because included with our detox is IASIS, which is microcurrent neurofeedback, and two years of free aftercare where you get a recovery coach and spiritual help walking you through with an app. There's just so much, and you get it for free for two years after you leave. And, and then as, as I've said before, all you need to do is just burn your life to the ground, internal or external. Matthew's <laughs> Hope doesn't care, and you get to go hang out with Heather and Melanie. and <laughs> Alcohol, drugs, Kratom, doesn't matter what your Jimmy <laughs> Jam is. You can come get help from us, and we can answer. In fact, Turn your life uh, the Detox launched this week a brand-new website that we've worked hard on getting new information, accurate information about our program, and it's a beautiful website. Yeah, they got a research firm, and they said, how long could we make the name of our website? We would like so, it to be as long as you could possibly So I'm going to tell it. you the name of the website. Don't <laughs> quit listening to us and go there now. Like, do it at the end of the show. I'll give it to you at the end of the show, but it's so long. It might take me the whole show to tell you what the website is, um, but it's www.matthews.com with two T's, Matthews, Hope, Detox, and RecoveryProgram.com. I don't know who approved that. (laughs) I have no clue who approved that, but it's the longest (laughs) URL I've ever witnessed. So um, maybe we'll get that fixed and fed into something shorter later, but it's a beautiful website. So if you have any questions, you can visit that website or call us at 844-263-4673. I mean, it's quite possible that management is going to hear this show. I hope so. Right after they it's let way you go, too long. Yeah, right after they let you go, they'll change it. I hope right so. I hope I don't also, get fired so for it the critique weird. of it. It always feels weird saying this uh, because you're hearing us somehow. But I'm going to say it anyway. Say it, Donnie. Say it. You can hear us Sundays at 1 o'clock on KPRC AM 950. If you're in the H-Town, you can also go to the iHeartRadio app. KPRC has a channel on there where you can listen to us live Sundays at 1 o'clock. Or they upload all of our radio shows to the iHeartRadio app late Sunday. And so you can go back and listen to... The progression of idiocy that we are going to display for you from the time we started. I think we get better and better at this. I think we had no clue what we were doing at first, but I don't think you said it. If you're out on the iHeart listening to us, go to just search Relevant Recovery Radio on the iHeart platform right there. We're there. And we have Facebook and Instagram. This has been a long intro. Donnie, tell us who we have in studio today. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) yeah, you can follow us at at Relevant Recovery Radio on Instagram, same on Facebook. So... In studio, I'm really, really excited today because this too. is a man who uh, I really have only known for about the last six months, but has started to become a real important part of my life. 
Uh, so I want to welcome today Brian Kelly to the studio. Welcome. Glad Hello. to have you here. Hello, Heather. Donnie, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. And so today, um, Brian has an amazing story. I mean, if, if you want to talk about the healing power, the regenerative power, just the life-changing, redeeming power of God, um, Brian Kelly is just a huge example of that, like one of the biggest. I'm and excited to have Brian on, too, because the show Relevant Recovery, we're really trying to be relevant to real recovery today, what that looks yeah. like, and, and bring on people that have experience navigating some of the hardest things to navigate in life and getting joy and freedom on the other side and to bring hope to people that, that this is really possible. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's jump right in. So, Brian, let's. where do you want to start? Golly, you know, I've thought about this a lot, Donnie, and, you know, let's just jump right in. Okay. And I think uh, the best story to, um, uh, to highlight a little bit of my life is one of those seminal moments when I was standing in a courtroom in Dallas, Texas in 1992, and I felt the oppressive stares all around the room, just hatred and condemnation. I was deathly quiet. I, I didn't even want to breathe because I was fearing that it would draw more attention to me. Mm. And finally, the judge leaned forward and broke the silence, and he looked at me over his glasses, and he said, Mr. Kelly, a jewelry of your peers has found you guilty of the crime of mm. murder. Mm. Wow. And has sentenced you to life in the state penitentiary. So you were sentenced to life in prison for murder. What is your immediate reaction to that? I, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine it. the feelings associated with you that. You know, I stood there trembling, and I had no idea what to say. I was scanning my brains. You know, what can I say? What's relevant? What's real? How can I clean this up with a word? And I realized I couldn't. And I couldn't even say, you know, look, I grew up in a, in a broken home, um, you know, single mom, alcoholism around me from a zip code that almost guaranteed poverty. And, you know, none of that mattered. Right. What really mattered is I had made a poor decision, even though I was lying about it. I lied at trial. Oh, OK. Um, and I knew I was standing there guilty and there was nothing to say. Right. That I mean, I, I can't even. So what the, they sentenced you to life. Life in prison. I, I'd, you know, I'd spend a few nights in jail um, from some unpaid traffic tickets or something like that, but I'd never had a felony, never spent more than a night in jail. And so I knew my life was over at that moment. Wow. And so, I mean, I don't want to, spoiler alert, maybe. I mean, you're sitting here with us now. <laughs> so, so there is, there is, there is a, something else that occurred that's after right, that. That's right. That's right. So, but what led up to that? Do, do, I'm assuming you had a history with drugs and alcohol, and we'll talk more about it like also after the break. But Maybe just, not. Maybe he was like an altar boy. We have, you never know. <laughs> that was so not me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was the antithesis of that. <laughs> because I think that there's there's a certain lifestyle that usually goes along with that, and it's usually that, like consequences of that lifestyle. That's what I experienced all the times so I got locked up, you know, is I was making poor decisions, and drugs or alcohol was like a common denominator yeah. for me. You know, I grew up without a father, and I gravitated to anything masculine. And so anytime a dare popped up or anything like that, I would jump right on it, and uh, and I, I would just answer any call to do anything stupid. I was the drunk bump guy. I, I get that. I, man, I grew up sort of the same way. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> we'll be right back with Brian and go into this amazing story. Do not go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
So uh, Heather and Donnie sitting in the studio with Brian, and Brian is telling a story that, I mean, honestly, when you said, when you said that, when you described the way you're standing there. That a jury of your peers has convicted you. And, and you get life in prison, and, and that, you know, it is... It is our misshapen lives that lead us there, right? The um, my, my father was around, but not in my life. Um, I lived with my my single mom who couldn't really run roughshod over three boys, and it was and she wasn't sober. Right. So there was a lot of it was a wild party, but yeah. I didn't have that father figure, and so the same way I looked for any sort of authority, any sort of like. I don't know how to describe it, but I know what you're talking about. Because there's like a, there, even though I'm a girl, but there's like a brotherhood or like a family sense, whether it's gang activity or, or just in the drug world, that there's mm-hmm. a masculine power that, that people feel. Yeah. Uh, if you're a drug dealer, you can feel wanted or important. People are calling you. Like there's there's a lot of ego that gets fed in that lifestyle. I don't know if I was a drug dealer, though. You I would buy large amounts of drugs and then just do them. I always <laughs> forgot to sell them. <laughs> You know, you and I share that. I was never a very good drug dealer because I <laughs> do my own product. But, you know, I was always seeking masculinity, and I realized too late in life that I was a perverse caricature mm-hmm. of what a man's supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. I thought a, a real man worked hard, uh, you know, played hard, drank hard, cussed hard, treated his women hard. Mm-hmm. And I realize now that, I, you know, I had all the uh, all the wrong constructs on what a man was supposed to be. Right. So walk us through that. You get sentenced and you enter prison. It's really your first prison experience. You said you had a couple little arrests or something, whatever. But what was that energy like of walking into that, trying to learn how to do life locked up? You know, everything I had come to trust for life, sex, drugs, rock and roll, praise, you know, party, wildness, zaniness, stripped away. Stripped away. Mm-hmm. And and I, so I'm just bare naked going into an environment that I, I don't even understand. Um, it, it was it was amazing. I was in the county jail for about three months. And at that time, there was massive prison overcrowding. Even the county jails uh, were, were backed up. We had 50 men in a tank made for 22. And Ooh. we were fighting like crazy. Yeah. Fighting over food, fighting over bunk space, fighting over anything. And I was just thinking, this is the environment I have just given myself over to for the rest of my like, life. Like, how did I end up here? Amen. Yeah, that's wild. It, it was difficult, and uh, we, uh, and then I finally went down to the prison uh, and was remanded to uh, a unit, in, the largest unit in Texas at that time. And um, you know, it's almost 4,000 inmates. The demographic was 18 to 21. Uh, a lot of angst, a lot of energy, a lot of fighting going on there. I'm 26 years old. Um, they referred to me as old school. Right, right. Wow. And, uh, and just acclimating to that bizarre, you know, inhuman environment. Was gladiator, right? It's like a gladiator, gladiator. forum. There's you a know? whole new language. you got to mm-hmm. learn, like, what Cadillac is. And, like, <laughs> there's a way to pass messages. There's a way to, you know, wire in between doors and underneath doors. There's, like, a whole language that you have to learn. I mean, speaking of masculinity, do you know how emasculating it is as a man? A man of my age and stature, that if I need to know anything about prison life, I ask my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean, Brian? I gotta, You're a smart man. I got I to ask her what it was like inside. Speaking of poor decisions, Donnie makes them. <laughs> so, so at this point, you've got to feel like your life is over. Um, you've you've made some poor choices that have led you to an ultimate life consequence. 
What happened? I mean, I, you're sitting here today, so what turned around? Because I'm thinking? curious about that, because did you get sober when you got locked up? Did you still drink or do drugs for a period of time in because prison? Because I don't know if people know this, but you can get anything you want on the inside. Some, like you, you, you can want. get anything. I got I got loaded, locked up, and so I know that, that a lot of people say, oh, I got, I got sober in prison or jail, and people think that doesn't count. Yeah, it does, <laughs> because the stuff is still there. And so I was curious how you began your journey with sobriety. You know, my first year, I was pretty depressed, slept a lot um, when I wasn't trying to just survive in prison and mm-hmm. and survive through riots and fights in the day room and, and that whole thing. But um, finally, you know, I befriended a few guys and one guy came to me and he said, I'd like to invite you to a prison ministry called Kairos. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, for you, it means four days of home-cooked meals. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, sign me up because the food here is terrible. <laughs> and I got fed so much more than I bargained for yeah. when I went to that four-day retreat. Oh, that's so amazing. What was that like? I, my best friend back in Oklahoma, the woman who, my childhood best friend, she put me on a plane to come to Texas to get sober. It still took me another year to get sober. But she used to bake cookies for the Cairo stuff in the women's prisons oh, up there. Really? And? Yeah, remember when I showed you those pictures of all those dozens and dozens? Of, I didn't know that was for Cairo. That's for Cairo. Okay. Well, you know, my experience was it, it's 42 Christian men who come in to impact 42 hand-selected inmates. And I'd never been around men like that before. I mean, they loved, they encouraged, they nurtured, they accepted, they forgave. Mm-hmm. And they were just so calmly strong. And yeah. I'd never been around them. So I'm poking and prodding, asking questions and saying, where do men like you come from? I've never encountered you. Yeah. And I, I befriended a, a guy, a Lutheran preacher who had went to Kansas University very near where I grew up. And to that point, I had never admitted to anybody that I was guilty of my crime. I had steadfastly denied it, even at trial. Yep. But being around men of such light, I couldn't carry that darkness anymore. You felt so convicted, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled him aside. I said, I need to tell you something. And we went off in the corner, and I just broke down. I was bawling, and they're right in the middle of prison. And and I told him everything, told him all the details of my crime. And he looked at me and said, Brian, I am so honored that you would share something so huge with me first. Yeah. That's huge, and I get mm. it. I want mm. to tell you something now. I forgive you. Mm. Oh, wow. And I have just crumbled. I didn't dream I would ever hear that from anyone. And he let me pull it back together, and he said, although I forgive you, and that's true, but you need to ask God to forgive you, and guess what? He will. Yeah. And I said, Keith, I get that, but I can't. And he said, I don't understand. Why not? And I said, well, basically, I know I don't deserve that. I deserve this or worse. I'll take my medicine. That's the beauty of God's grace, though. And he literally <laughs> laughed at me. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, that's an odd response. And he said, I didn't realize when I came here this weekend, I was going to meet somebody smarter than God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, always, I always love those wise statements. from Man, sort of because the, they just slice you, you yeah. know, it's just like, oh, that's truth. You and, and we don't have to go into detail. Is it okay that I say what you you, you killed a man in a drug deal? I, I did. I killed okay. a man in a drug deal. My my life had devolved in a place where I was completely dependent on cocaine uh, for any semblance of life. And so basically it boiled down to an ounce of cocaine uh, was more valuable to wow. me than another man's life. And it was actually a friend of mine. A guy I knew and did not dislike. Right. And so, you know, when your life is, um, has went down to such depths and you have no value in your own life, you have no value in anybody else's either. Right. And what a lot of people don't understand is the whole, listen, you have done your time. You have paid the, the, the consequence. But what people don't understand is the hold that drugs, I, 
Heather and I sponsor a lot of people. We're very, very involved in the fellowship. And we see it all the time. The things that people will do under that influence, it's not even that person. Right. They're not themselves anymore. But then later, even when you're separated from that lifestyle or the drugs or the alcohol, you're still living with the memories of things you technically did, and that haunts you. Yeah. Uh, it, it haunts yeah. you in a way that you wish you could figure out how to make right, and there's not really a full way to ever make it right, and you really have to just ask God for forgiveness. Um, yeah. And mean it. I, I mean, realize at that point that um, a, a friend of mine shared this with me, and it's exactly uh, what I was doing. I was trying to live every day hoping for a new past. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. And yeah. it just yeah. doesn't happen. And so that, again, the journey, is that how you found, uh, I hate to say religion, were you already faith a based person? Did you have a conception of God? Did you believe in a certain religion? You know, I believe that God was. Yeah. I just didn't believe we were on the same team. Right. And, and so <laughs> right? I right. felt like I was uh, partitioned somewhere else. And so, you know, it was my first introduction into what a practical, loving, nurturing um, relationship with God looked like. These men changed your life and that program changed your, your whole life. I think that's some of the most powerful I don't know, the basis for some of the most powerful God transformations, right? Because I, I say the in same prison. thing. Like, uh-huh. There may have been a God, but we blocked each other on our phones. Like, I wasn't talking to him. He wasn't talking to me. I didn't want anything to do with him. And, and then I come into this 12-step fellowship, um, and, and God is able to turn my whole life around, whether I believe in him or not, just doing a few simple things. So uh, we are going to come back here in a minute, and we're going to pick up with Brian's story and see where this goes next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather, husband, Donnie, and our special guest, our good dear friend, Brian Kelly, is in studio with us today with his amazing story of redemption and hope. Right. So let's 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 do a quick recap. Right. So he makes a bad decision. Somebody loses their life in a drug deal. He gets life in prison, mm-hmm. um, floats around a little bit, and then somebody invites him to something called Kairos, Kairo. where he gets to have a few hot meals, right? But you got fed way more than you ever bargained for. You got for. fed some spiritual food, and you got honest, and it began a process of rewriting who you were internally. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was an amazing uh, a moment in my life. And um, for the very first time, I started thinking outside of self and started thinking about others, and mm-hmm. I realized I am what's wrong with this country. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. I don't want to be part of the problem. I yeah. want to be part of the solution. Yeah. I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. And so while I'd had this huge godly encounter, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with that. And it's amazing because God sent me directly to recovery. Yeah. And where I could take a look and do some inventories and, and realize what those patterns and those drivers were in my life and, and understand how I ended up in prison. So that's when you center. got hooked up with a 12-step fellowship in prison and, and did the work and got to see the truth now, about yourself. Well, mm-hmm. a quick question. Did you do Christianity only for a while with those Kairos men? Did that in, How did that work out where you were doing both uh, prison ministry and... 12-step. You know, it worked just fine. Uh, uh, about two weeks after giving my life over to mm-hmm. a power I didn't yet understand, <laughs> I, I moved to a recovery dorm and went to my very first recovery meeting ever. 
And I heard people telling stories, and so I just piped in. I've got some great stories, and, <laughs> right? and I'm throwing them out there. And, and a, another inmate came up to me, and he said, man, thank you so much for sharing. I'm like, dude, you haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> and he goes, oh, we appreciate that, but you probably need a sponsor. And I Boom. said, well, what's that? And he goes, don't worry, I'm going to show you. Oh, that's uh, so great. I love that because he corrected you very kindly, mm-hmm. and you received it, you know, because people – don't know if from an outside looking in or when you're new, I didn't know you weren't just supposed to show up like it's a bad process group and like have crazy wild stories or war stories, they call it, you know, and it's like it's really about a whole lot more than that. And I'm so grateful that I fell in with a pocket that uh, hooked me up with a sponsor and, and forced me to do the work, basically. Like, this is what we do. Uh, I fought against it for about a year and kept relapsing. And uh, when I did that work, man, I remember after the end of my first four or five and I swallowed all these chunks of truth about myself, I realized what a horrible person I really was. And uh, this iciness of my arrogance started to really melt. I didn't want to be that person anymore. And I realized I, through the literature that I didn't even have the power to not be that person anymore. I can't just will myself and do a good person either. Right. We're waiting. <laughs> Force number three, right ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's so beautiful that quickly God swooped you in and got you into this pocket of, of finding out the truth about yourself. So where you didn't live life as a victim all the time. Yeah. So I got an, an another inmate uh, to be my sponsor and he gave me a wonderful program and he, he worked my tail off. My first fourth step was 90 pages oh wow oh wow and when i did my fifth step with him and unloaded everything i just did that in good faith like i realized my life is a catastrophe what do i know about living so i puked all of that out to him and expected him to recoil and he didn't Mm -hmm. and i realized for the very first time in my life i was completely honest with another human being and it was okay isn't that freeing God, I felt freedom for the first time in prison with a life sentence for murder. How amazing. Wow. Wow. And so so it was like kind of get out of your way after that. Like, okay, cool. Now let's work these steps, get a conscious contact with God. And, and so what was that like in prison? Uh, did you get to sponsor other people and do that same process with them? Did you start up meetings? Like how did you serve even locked up? Yeah, I, I had several sponsors on the inside. And when you move from unit to unit, I would just start over because I knew the formula now. Yep. I knew how to mm-hmm. live life, you know, abundant and, and transparently. And so um, one of the units I ended up on in Huntsville, Texas, and spent about 17 years on that unit, um, we lost our AA sponsors there for mm-hmm. quite some time. And so uh, I had a couple of spons- uh, sponsees at that time, and one of them came to me in tears, and he said, I can't live without this. And I'm like, we don't need anybody else to do this. So we started a group on the rec yard on Friday nights. We called ourselves Last Man Standing because even if we were the last men on the it. unit to carry the message, we were going to carry that message. That group is still going on today. No. It's almost 20 years old. It currently has over 100 members, and there's been about a 1,000 that have went through it. Holy cow. Look at what Look God, what God can, can do. do. I, mean. I just, I just, I want to do this. I, I feel so, and I was talking to Brian last week about it. I feel so convicted to carry the message back in because I really felt genuine God seeking people when I was locked up and I wasn't uh, there that long, three, four months each time. Sometimes, you know, sure. She longer. just wants their guarantee that they're going to uh, let her out if they I let just, her in. You know, with all my background, I just didn't know if I could go in. Uh, apparently I can, but. I don't know if our audience understands that I married a criminal. Uh, it's fine. It's just totally fine. I'm I mean, new. I'm redeemed. 
Jesus. Well, she's just a criminal that got caught. There are others out there, too. Well, right. I might have been one of those that didn't get caught. I might have been one of those. But here's what I'm what I'm. No, real, no, wait. What? I definitely am one of those. And I did a lot that I didn't get caught for. So, you know, I never felt, like, slighted by the justice system when I was locked up again. I'm like, cool, I deserve it. God's putting me in time out, you yeah. know. But here's what's crazy. You're out and you're free today. How did, so that, how did happen? that happen? You know, in the fullness of time, I came up for parole for my 13th time. Oh. I had been denied parole 12 times. Every time they told me, you're doing everything just right. Keep it up. You know, I earned a bachelor's degree, uh, was stellar in recovery in the church, and I always had a great job. And so it's my 13th time. I just cleared the 20-year mark. He was telling me what parole was going to be like for me when I got out. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God. This guy's telling me I've made parole. And at the end, he said, any questions? And I said, yes, sir, I've got one. He said, well, what is it? And I said, will you give me parole next year? (laughs) And he looked at me, and he kind of turned his neck, and he said, are you asking me to stay in prison for another year? And I said, well, um, yes, sir. Wow. And he said, I don't understand. Why? Why why would you do that? And I said, well, I'd like to go through um, the, the program that I now lead, Prison Entrepreneurship Program, and develop a business plan that I've got for my life. But the only way I can do that is if you give me a hard release date for next year, it's a pre-release facility that I need to go to. And he stared at me for, I bet, 60 seconds without blinking. And <laughs> because anybody else would have just taken the opportunity and run. been in fear. Yeah. But you, at some some level, you really trusted God and relied on God for that process so, to make a more prudent decision. Something I thought about when you were talking about that. At what point through 12 parole hearings did you lose hope or did you or were you free in prison because that's so hard for people to understand and i'll bet you you do i lived my best life ever to that point in prison and so you know what did i aspire to get out and and try things absolutely but i also recognize that i earned my way there and i deserve that or worse like i said earlier and so you know if i never got out i wanted to make the most of my life and i found a way to do it in recovery i found a way to do it and and varied other ways inside of prison and and so i was content right right I wanted more, there but I was content. I always made there the jokes that I jail well. Like, I, I never went to prison long term, but I jailed, I jailed well. And it was like, I, you, I could find some contentment with those relationships and the routine and the service. I worked commissary. Like, uh, it wasn't the end of the world in my mind if I was going back to jail or not. Because I was facing five years when we, I met Donnie. Because uh, I still had a bunch of probation stuff that I had ran away from for years, and so that was part of the draw, by the way. If you're wondering, <laughs> you I'm married just, me, assuming I might go to prison. Yeah, I mean. But I think what's crazy is God gave me a piece because I'd worked the steps and I was on a different spiritual basis at that chunk yeah, of time, and sure. and I was content with God placing me in prison to sponsor people and help women there, or leaving me free and doing God's work here out in this world. The most content I've ever been in my life, and Heather's probably heard me say this a hundred times, is a period after a divorce when I literally had nothing and i moved into this tiny little house tore up couch no tv no i mean i had nothing and i remember sitting on that couch one day just feeling completely content it was the first time in my life about five years sober um and so what that told me and that's the reason i was curious brian for your view of that is what it told me is that content happiness is inside well i believed for a long time that it was everything on the exterior what what can i buy who can i uh get some love from who can you know all of that but what it turned out it was it was it was the relationship with god it was the internal well, you know, Donnie, most of my life I had lived on immediate gratification. Yeah. You know, if it promised something right now, I was in. But 
uh, you know, going into recovery, I really understood that making the right decisions for the right reasons pays off in the long run so much mm-hmm. better. And yeah. so, you know, when I find those things, I, I try to do my best to just stick to my guns and make the right decision yeah. instead of the fast decision. Do you think that it's common for if, I, if I'm if i trying to get what I want or desire in the now that sometimes you pay a spiritual price for that later down the road? Absolutely. You know, I've... I've made a lot of decisions in my life, and I paid greatly (laughs) shortly thereafter. Well, what I love uh, is the the man that I know today, the man who has been redeemed, um, that is forgiven and redeemed. And you live a life of giving today, and you live a life of service. And when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about that. Um, on what you do in your business, on what you do in church fellowship, in recovery, all of it. Like, you basically live a life of service. Yep, let's talk about that as soon as we take a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Recovery Radio. So this has been really a one of my awesome favorite thing. episodes ever. I'm telling you. So we're we're talking about a story of somebody who was condemned to a life of punishment, who evidently was on a path God wanted him on. He didn't even know it, right. and God has redeemed his whole life and put him into a life of service, and he gets to live a life that I'm sure he never imagined. But I want to give it right back to you, Brian. So. Uh, you are now at your 13th parole hearing. They're telling you can you can get out. And you asked to stay another year, and oh, you yeah. did? I did. <laughs> okay, wow. so now I'm going to question his sobriety in prison. <laughs> <laughs> but did you execute the business plan, and you had a – because that's hard to get out. It's hard to rebuild a life from scratch. You were locked up 20 years, right? Yeah, almost 22 years, 21 years, eight months, and one day, roughly. And so when you get out, how do you even start a life? You know, I'd never Googled anything, never sent an email, used a debit card or a cell phone. My gosh, the the technology world had moved on and left me behind. Oh, wow, because you went in in, what, 92? Early 90s, yeah. 92. Holy cow. I mean, that was back when you used to have a modem that would dial up to AOL. And pagers. There was still pay phones on the wall when you went in. And so God helped you develop a plan leaving. What was some of your basic steps? How did life begin when you got out? You know, I was introduced to a a wonderful in-prison program called the Prison Entrepreneurship Program, and I got to encounter a lot of super successful business volunteers and think about uh, a new vision for my life and and how I might take the tools that I've learned in prison and put them to work helping people but also making a living. Yeah. And so I love that. When I got out, I was offered a job uh, by Prison Entrepreneurship Program, and I've worked for them ever since. I've been on staff for about eight years. And it's been just amazing because I get to help literally thousands Mm -hmm. of men turn their lives around and live uh, a life of economic independence. Which a lot of times is what drove them into crime in the first place. And it's, I imagine, hard for somebody on parole to get a job. It's hard to get a job. There's lots of legal loopholes and people, they see your record, I imagine, you know. There are 44,000 barriers to reentry yeah. for our second mm-hmm. chance citizens. And, you know, I realize from the participants in our program, they aren't 
second chances. They're legitimate first chances where you have a tool belt yeah. and a community and a vision to really succeed. And do you find that like the peer support of that model is very effective? It is super effective. And I would just say that you probably can't do it without it. Right. Oh, wow. That's what, that's what I do at Matthew's Help from the recovery standpoint is the peer mm-hmm. support. And it's the most rewarding thing God's ever equipped me to do. We need our people. We yeah. need our community. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the enterprise. What What is it that you do? So we use the vehicle of entrepreneurship to help transform lives for men inside out, literally and figuratively. We also do some character assessment development, but we teach them business basics, how to present themselves and their ideas when they get out. We give them a new community of successful businessmen and women to to continue to bounce ideas off of. And what we have found is teaching um, character and business concepts and, and sparking that entrepreneurialism uh, is an amazing way to turn things around. We've had about 3,000 graduates of our program. Our recidivism rate is a minuscule 8% over wow. our 18-year history. Wow. And the wow. stories of success, of triumphant life, we call it, uh, are just amazing. We've had over 600 businesses started by Second Chance wow. Citizens. See, that's amazing because the deal is that somebody, we all make mistakes. And we were making a joke during the break. I was, you know, talking about my wife being a criminal. But the only difference between her being a criminal and me is that she got caught and I didn't. I mean, that's, I used to carry the message into Jester Unit. And that hit me one day like a brick in the face. Like the only difference between, the only difference between me and those men is that. They got caught. And so the thing is, is they're doing their time and they're paying their consequence. And our society does not do a real good job at forgiving them. Right. And giving them another chance. And you, it sounds like you're not only giving them the chance, but the tools, the vehicle to do it. Yeah. You know, there are so many barriers for them when they reenter. Um, you know, it's gotten in this environment, this job market, it's easy to get a entry level job, mm-hmm. but it's a lot harder for an ex felon to get a job that's really going to be a livable wage. Right. And there are barriers for housing, transportation, banking. And it's amazing how difficult it is to really uh, thrive as an ex felon. That's so awesome that y'all are doing that. Before, I know we don't have a whole lot of time. We, we might have to just bring you back on again to talk about stuff. But one thing I want to make sure that we talk about is how we met you. <laughs> we, we met you through a 12-step program called Regeneration. Yeah, yeah, so I, talk about that. Talk about your Christian walk being out. Yeah, I, I really look forward to going to church when I got out. You know, I, I, I encountered God on the inside and began a relationship with him in there. I'd never really went to church before. And so I was super excited to do that when I got out. And I just, I'm one of those people, I'm all in. I'm all in recovery. Yeah. I'm all in in church. I, just the same way I was all in with the dope scene. Me too. Mm-hmm. And so, I man, I want to serve. I want to help. I mm-hmm. want to help people connect the dots like somebody helped me right. connect the dots. And so we we launched Regen, which is a Christ-based 12-step recovery. Uh, recovery community at our church, uh, the Met uh, on the northwest side of Houston. And it's just had amazing early returns. I see uh, transformations happening already. So if someone has no idea what that means to have a Christ-centered 12-step, what would you say? Who, who does it? Who's our, who's a candidate for Regen? Anybody, because you don't <laughs> have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be a drug addict. If you have any sort of issues and patterns going on in your life that are keeping you from living an abundant life, mm 
and you need to process any of that. It could be hatred, it could be overeating, it could be praise and gossip, and it really doesn't matter. Gambling, um, if you know, if you're not spending wisely, so they don't need to be a drug addict or an alcoholic mm-hmm. to come to Regen. Well, and I love that you mentioned the Met because this is important. So this is this is Heather and I's church, and if you're in Houston, I dare you to come to the Met. <laughs> I really do because. Listen, I was an atheist for 20 years. I was. Uh, and I just knew that those people were judging me. And so I've always been cautious. I'm careful. Uh, and when Heather and I found this church, I have never found a fellowship, a community of more authentic. Genuine, loving people. I mean, the pastor will admit his current sins and faults. Like, there's just nobody above being human And, there. and I will say, Donnie and I are kind of heavily tattooed. <laughs> and how well we got welcomed. Uh, I just love Regeneration. I love yeah. the Met. It's just, they're, y'all are family to us already. And mm-hmm. so it takes the, the stigma off of going to a 12-step community inside the church because the church is all for it. They're saying, hey, we're all broken. That's why we're here. So if someone was curious about Regen, Brian, how would they find information about it? How would they contact you or them? You know, Regen is not specific to just the Met, but the Met obviously has it. And so you can go to the Met, T-H-E-M-E-T dot church and find out there's a care ministry tab that they can go to on that. But uh, Regen originated in Watermark Church in Dallas, and that was my first church that I went to when Uh I got out. And now Regen is in several locations across the country. It's catching on. I've heard it's replacing Celebrate Recovery in quite a few churches. And tell us about, uh, plug your your work or wherever you'd like to. Your like, website, yeah, phone number. Yeah, let people know where to find you. Yeah, so I'm now CEO of the Amazing Prison Entrepreneurship Program Woo. that is headquartered <laughs> right here in Houston, Texas. You can find out some more about us. And it's a lot easier website to find. It's <laughs> PEP.org. Wow, that's short. Yeah, We're going to have to get his website people in touch yeah, with you. Yeah, in touch with our website people okay. to shorten that. Well, thank you so very much, Brian, for being on the show today. This has been yeah. a wonderful episode. I know it's brought a message of hope and redemption because really anything is possible going either way in life like did you ever i want to want to ask more did you ever uh at any point in time in the in that almost 22 years think that you would be living the life you're living today i i never dreamed of that i i knew what i deserved and i deserved that uh, that ugly gray stinky uh cell that i was living in and here i am i'm out here and, and now i'm a ceo i went from crackhead to convict, to CEO. My gosh, I was even invited wow. to the White House twice. How does that happen but God? Wow. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's only God. So thank you so much for being on the show. I hope our listeners have enjoyed this episode of Hope and Redemption. If you or a loved one would like any information about the Matthews Hope Detox, call us at 844-263-4673 or visit this really long, ridiculous website URL, <laughs> www.matthewshope.com detoxandrecoveryprogram.com. Wow. Can you say that one more time? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm not. But just please remember, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag Hashtag God, God, though. though.